Happy holidays and welcome to Longevity Now. You would think with all the public appearances that Aubrey de Grey has made over the last 15 years that the Sens Foundation would be a lot farther along. But institutional resistance to change is very strong. Even though Sens faces significant headwinds, they continue to make strides in rejuvenation science. Listen in to find out all of the breakthroughs that occurred in 2017. And now I would like to welcome to the Longevity Now podcast, Aubrey de Grey of the Sens Foundation. Hello, Justin. Great to see you here again. Well, another year has gone by. How would you characterize the progress toward rejuvenation in 2017? Well, as usual, I think I really have to answer that question along many different dimensions. Um, especially, I need to use two dimensions, namely the science and the outreach. So on the science side, I think the best thing that we have that we are really happy with is the rate of progress that has happened in the most difficult, the most challenging areas of our work. So you'll all know that those areas and the two that I would um, call out here as being the most difficult out of the seven are mitochondrial mutations and cross-linking. So you'll all know that those areas were both totally stat static. You know, they were totally logjammed for maybe 20 years before we came along. And two years ago, we published a very important paper um, which essentially unlocked that logjam for crosslinks. And one year ago, we did exactly the same thing for mitochondrial mutations. So, of course, it's all very well to say, okay, we have unlocked this logjam. Here is this big breakthrough. But it wasn't a a breakthrough that said, yeah, the problem is solved. It wasn't a, like all in one thing. So the question is, what was the breakthrough? And of course, the, the real answer to that, the generic answer is, how much did it allow further work, subsequent work to actually occur? How rapidly? And in both cases, the great answer is very rapidly indeed. So in the case of cross-linking, the big breakthrough that we published two years ago was something that was a little bit kind of tangential ostensibly namely we figured out how to synthesize the thing that in vivo we actually want to destroy you're talking about the spiegel lab glucosapine you're absolutely right okay. that's what i'm talking about so um we did this but the point is that allows us to do a bunch of stuff that you can't do if you only have trace amounts of the stuff to work with you can create antibodies against it you can you know do screens for stuff that breaks it and in particular, we've done both of those things. We have really good antibodies against this stuff now. So we, that, that's the best way to be able to measure how, how effective any breaker might be, because you can see how much is left. The other thing about, uh, about breaking it is we've been looking at the enzymatic approach. We've been trying to identify enzymes that are able to chop this thing up. And that's been going incredibly well. The group at Yale have already found four or five enzymes that seem to do this. Um, they have a wide variety of different mechanisms of action, which is very handy because it means that there are a whole bunch of, you know, showstoppers that we could sidestep, you know, things like um, need some cofactor that we can't make, things like that. Uh, yeah, so, so that's going nicely. In fact, it's going so nicely that that group is going to spin the project out into a company. Um, and it's that we're actually in the closing stages of doing that. So that should be done within the next few months. So that's fantastic. The mitochondrial work, kind of the same story. We're not thinking of spinning that out into a company yet, 
but um, it's kind of going the same kind of way. Over the past year since we published the paper, we have made um, great progress on more of the genes. So the paper talked about two specific genes, the, sub, the subunits of complex five that are mitochondrial encoded. And you will recall that there are a total of 13 genes that all need to be got to work. And uh, yeah, so we've got two more of them working quite well. One of them very well. And uh, yeah, we. I wouldn't. Again, I wouldn't say we've got a we've got a solution, a generic solution. We don't really have a clear idea how to just plug and play this yet, but we're getting there awfully fast. And the thing is, this is really being recognised. So when my team go to conferences on mitochondria, for example, and meet the absolute specialists who've been leading this field for twenty, thirty years, and who have totally given had totally given up on this and we're looking at us until now as basically amateurs who were just you know whistling in the wind trying to do something that they already knew was impossible now it's totally turned around they really are taking the, us very seriously they know that we really know what we're doing so that's very nice that's on the science side and i mean all, I, I shouldn't stop there really because of course other things have been going well on the science side as well sure. those are just the highlights those are a couple of highs from 2017 sounds great yeah on the advocacy side, things have actually also been going incredibly well. So you will probably remember that when I donated my inheritance or the bulk of it, that was when my mother died back in 2011, the money came in in 2012, and we chose to spend it over a period of five years because we felt that that was a good balance between keeping uh, getting uh, spending it fast enough to get stuff done versus having long enough to bring new money in the door. And my ultimate summary from 2012 through to 2016, which went around out at the end of 2016, a year ago now, um, is that I'm very happy with how the money was spent. I mean, that's not surprising because I made almost all the decisions. But, but the fact is, um, um, but the fact is, yes, it all went well. I didn't regret any of those decisions. But on the bringing new money in, it was very, very touch and go. By middle of 2016, we were getting extremely nervous because even though we had succeeded very well in increasing our grassroots funding, the small donors, because especially of our newfound vice president of outreach, Jerry Barrett, who had a lot of experience in that kind of thing, she basically, over a period of maybe three years, she pretty much added an order, added an extra zero to our grassroots budget. But the problem is that it was so tiny originally that it was still only a minority. It went up from, you know, in round numbers, it went up from maybe 100k a year to a million a year. And our budget is 4 million a year, right? So, so we were still almost as reliant as we ever had been on high net worth donors, on the small number of people. And despite Jerry's and everybody else's best efforts, um, we had not made much of a breakthrough there. But that has now changed too. So the first thing that happened in 2017 was that Peter Thiel, um, who has obviously been funding us for more than a decade now, was willing to come in again to where he had been gradually diminishing his, reducing his contrib contribution. It was only a quarter of a million in 2016. He took it way back, he took it all the way back up to a whole million for 2017. It remains to be seen what he's going to do for 2018, but other things have happened too. So uh, one thing that is, of course, slightly old news now is that Michael Grieve from Germany came in uh, around the summer of last year and committed, which is something that Peter has never done, to an actual five-year commitment of, of donation of one million per year. So we're now a year and a half through that. But in addition to that, this year, 2017, which is really what you're asking about, 
we've had a number of new major donors come in. Now, none of them have yet come in at a seven-digit level, at the tail grieve level. But, you know, these are new people, and we obviously will be hoping that as time goes on and they gain more and more confidence in what we're doing and also more and more um, confidence in the credibility of the field as a whole, that that will increase. Okay. And we've, got, we've got four or five of them now. So, you know, that's pretty good news. And some of them are quite vocal and quite well-known people. So one one example is Jim Mellon, who is a British investor. He's not been in this field at all for a long time. He's been around a long time. But he's over the past couple of years, he's become very enamored of this. And he's the kind of guy who not only likes to put money where his mouth is, but he actually likes to put mouth where his money is. In other words, he um, does a lot of advocacy. He writes books whose major intended audience is other investors. And he's just done one for aging. It's called Juvenescence, which is a word he made up, of course. And it's quite good. Uh, I, I played a, a small role in, in making sure the biology was good. But basically, you know, the, he's got a very good you know, writing style, very poetic. You know, he's, he, he, he's good at appealing to people and he, he knows it and he likes to do that. And, he, you know, he runs a blog doing the same kind of thing. So this is all great. Juvenescence is actually a collaboration between him and two other quite successful people in the whole biotech world. A guy named Greg Bailey, who is from the US, from LA, and who's made quite a bit of money in a variety of areas in biotech, and who actually, I gather, was the person who got Jim interested in this. And then the third person is a guy named Declan Dugan, who is from Connecticut, and has made quite a name for himself with a company named Biohaven, and is also, you know, quite 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 a veteran in this space. So yeah, this is very very hard. Well, that's yeah, that's that's great news to hear uh, that the funding challenge is. I'll just I'll just add one more thing before. Oh, you one more on, thing. Yeah. Which is that another of our major new donors is Vitalik Buterin, who is a rather a well-known name these days. He's the guy who founded Ethereum. Oh he, right. He created Ethereum while he was a Teal Fellow. Somehow or other. I never actually met him while he was a Teal Fellow, but I've met him now, all right. So he gave us a couple of hundred K earlier this year, and um, we definitely have a conversation going on. So, yes, um, these are the kinds of people who are getting involved. Okay, uh, and I remember um, you talking to other high net worth individuals around the Bay Area. And is there any any chance that uh, some of those people like the Google guys are going to stop wasting eight figures a year on, you know, research that's not very translational? It would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, I think it's just going to be a conversation, really. You know, ultimately, all of these people, once they make decisions, they don't like to go back on them. You know, they, once they make, make, once they put their faith in particular people, they don't like to go back on them. So for, for Larry and Sergey to go into Calico and kind of impose a change of direction is probably rather a big ask, but it's certainly what I want to happen. And, you know, it could happen. There are people out here who are really, un, really hearing what I'm saying about Calico and what a disaster it is. And some of those people, you know, even if they're not as wealthy as Larry and Sergey, they you know, have influence. So one of our other new donors is a guy named Michael Antonoff, who was one of the co-founders of Oculus. You know, he's got he's got people listen to him. You know, you, got, you get the idea. OK. Yeah. Uh, now, you mentioned about spinning out uh, some of the Sense strategies, some of the Sense technologies. You know, we've got i and we've got the Spiegel Group and, you know, a couple of other uh, companies out there trying to develop some of the therapies. Now, what kind of uh, funding might come in eventually from those arrangements? Is it such a situation where Sense has a certain percentage from future profits? I mean, you probably can't speak specifically to it, but I mean, I can imagine a lot of people listening thinking, okay, if i makes a hundred million dollars per year with their AMD uh, treatment. Uh, does Sens get 
five million or one million or something like that. Is that the type of arrangements that are in in place? Yes, it is. So we do indeed have equity and or royalty arrangements with all of the um, groups that we've spun out. Yeah, it helps that Mike, Mike Cope, our CEO, is a veteran of tech transfer. He was for 10 years the head of the legal side of tech transfer at University of Michigan before he got into biotech startup land. So uh, yeah, we have we have perfectly good arrangements. We have <clears throat> we have consistently chosen to take a rather modest stake when we spin these things out, simply because the first priority, the first short-term priority, is to get other investors to come in and support the company. And obviously, we don't want to dilute them. We don't want to reduce their enthusiasm. So we don't take much. And um, our logic is that these companies are being spun out at as early, as early a stage as possible, and therefore the time frame before they are actually profitable is pretty long. And we would hope that we have kind of put ourselves out of business by declaring victory, getting all of our projects privatized by that time, though we don't know. I mean, certainly in the near term, the foundation, as, a, as a, in its nonprofit capacity, remains absolutely as essential as ever as the kind of engine room of the industry, the, 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 the entity that supports these projects in the period before even the most visionary investors are willing to get involved at an investment level. You know, I think that's going to be true for at least another couple of years. Uh, but I definitely think we should be looking forward to the point where that is no longer true, where it really is an industry and it, does, it just doesn't need a nonprofit engine room anymore. Okay, uh, and then in the various uh, research avenues at the SENS Foundation, I mean, nothing goes uh, as smoothly as you would hope. Um, what was the most interesting or surprising thing that you learned this year? Maybe a roadblock that you didn't anticipate or a new technique for rejuvenation therapies that just didn't appear, appear feasible before? What was the most interesting or surprising thing that your research team learned this year? Yeah, that's a pretty tricky one. Um, Actually, I would certainly say that the success that the Yale group had, the Spiegel group, in identifying enzymes that broke glucosapine, that was a big surprise to me. And the fundamental reason why it was a surprise was because 10 or more years ago, we looked at we were already interested in glucosapine before, we had, before we'd even heard of David Spiegel or he'd heard of us. And we had had a look at it. So John Schlerndorn, who was, of course, heading our Lysosense group at the Arizona State University back then, he tried to devise strategies for uh, crunching this thing up. But the difficulty was that when you want to take some isolated molecule like oxidized cholesterol or A2E and crunch it up, you don't care what what the motivation of the bacteria is, shall we say. You don't care why it wants to crunch it up. You just find something. It might need carbon, it might need nitrogen, it might need energy. In the case of Crosslink, you, you do care because you care which part of the thing you break up. If you take a glucosapine as its minimal form, where it's just a linkage between two amino acids, and those amino acids which in, in the body would be parts of proteins, they are not parts of proteins, because, so it's the minimal form, right? Um, if you do that, then it's a big old bacteria, but it's just going to break down the amino acids. It's not going to touch the cross-link. So it's tricky. And of course, one can think of ways around that, but not really solid ways. So to be perfectly honest, we were pretty pessimistic. We didn't think that the enzymatic approach was going to be very successful. But David, as is his one, he's a very, very smart guy. He and he's very, got a fantastic team as well. He, you know, he found a couple of tricks, and long and short of it, was he seems to have got the results. So yeah, that's pretty exciting to me. 
All right, lastly, how is the year-end fundraiser going? Is there a matching grant once again this year? There sure is. We're uh, going slightly bigger than last year. Our total that we're trying to get in is 250000 And we are, I think, just over halfway there at this point, which is pretty much where we ought to be on the 11th of December. So, But we definitely want to get the other half, that's for sure. Um, we're, very, um, we're very excited that so many people are supporting us. Giving Tuesday was particularly good. One thing I definitely ought to mention is that we do now take... Bitcoin and Ethereum um, through a fairly, I, th- I think I think it's fairly straightforward from the website, but obviously anyone who um, can't figure out how to do it should just write and ask. And given what's going on right now in that space, this is a big deal for us. You know, it's, we, there was a long period when people were asking us to do it and it took us a while, we were a bit slow. And then when we put it up, there was a long period when we were getting like $2 a month that way. But that very much changed. In fact, Vitalik Buterin, who I mentioned earlier, he gave us his money through that, through that route, not surprisingly. And uh, we're, 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 we've had a number of other respectable donations that way. So, yeah, we're definitely hoping that the well, we think that we think there is a big intersection between the life extension community and the cryptocurrency community. And therefore, we hope that this will help. Well, that's something for everyone to keep in mind. Aubrey, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast once again this year. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Justin, and happy holidays. Happy holidays. The SENS platform is probably closer to implementation than any other rejuvenation therapy. Hopefully, it will not be too many years from now when we find out how effective the treatments will be. In this season of giving, consider a donation toward the SENS year-end fundraiser. Until next time, I'm Justin Lowe.